Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. We are empowering the next generation. We're letting them know, hey, you are terrific. You are not a target. You are intelligent. You are not inferior. There are so many messages by just creating something like this book series that I'm not only doing for my little girl, but I'm doing it for everybody's kid that has to just deal with the barriers that society has allowed to be in place. And I'm hoping that will get torn down quick, but it can't happen quick enough. This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Shambrika Wise. She is an author, entrepreneur, public health professional, Gates Millennium Scholar, mother, and lover of travel. She and her six-year-old daughter, Sandy, have created the Sightseeing with Sandy Project, a children's book series that provides young kids the opportunity to travel the world without parents experiencing the financial burden or the COVID-19 health risk that comes with that. The book series is designed to take kids across the world to learn about and appreciate other cultures and inspire kids especially black kids and other children of color, to be their own heroes, pilot their own journey, and inspire their interest in world travel. The Sightseeing with Sandy website contains resources to supplement the book series, such as a blog for parents wanting to travel with children, additional travel pictures for kids to see, and fun recipes from around the world that families can prepare and eat together. Shambrika, welcome to the show. I don't even know what else to say. Like, that was an amazing intro. Hey, Matt. <laughs> you are amazing and you deserve an amazing intro. It is so good to have you here. We are not actually in person today, unfortunately, but we did arrange to have a wine party and we are doing a virtual wine-induced interview I am in Asheville, North Carolina at the moment recording this, and I am drinking a red blend from Portugal. Where are you and what are you drinking this evening? I am in Dallas, Texas, and I am drinking a red blend also from Valencia. 
Amazing. I am so excited to have you on the show. And I feel like we should just start off with how we met. It was April 2019 in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Conference, which for anybody that doesn't know, is a absolutely enormous mega conference. I think they get 100,000 participants take over every hotel in the city of Austin, Texas. And it's everything from a tech and entrepreneurship conference to a film festival to a music festival. And it's just absolutely massive. So I was there presenting on a panel on remote entrepreneurship in the digital age. And I was actually on that panel. Mavericks, your listeners will know Colin Randall, they'll know Shane Vitale Foran and Laura Gallagher, who were all on the panel with me, and they've all been guests on the Maverick Show. So we were there during that panel. And then afterwards, when our panel was done, we came down to the lobby, sat at the bar, started drinking, and there you were. Yes, I was. So a lot of people take off for Christmas holidays, Thanksgiving, even New Year. I take off for South by Southwest. (laughs) Like, that's my vacation. So I was like, I'm not getting a badge. I don't think that's necessary. I had so many people I knew in Austin, and I had so many places that I knew I could get in for free. I was like, I'm not getting a badge. I was just like, I'm just going to wait till people have their conferences and wait outside and say hi. Like, it will happen. Like, whoever I'm supposed to meet, I'm going to meet them. So, yeah, Matt just came up. And he was like, is anybody sitting here? I'm like, absolutely not. We had great conversation, talked for hours. But before we even got to that point, literally I stopped him dead in mid-conversation. And I said, excuse me. And I'm pretty sure he was like, okay, that was abrupt and possibly rude. But I came back like maybe three minutes later and I said, I'm sorry, I had to stop you because I just saw Chili walk by and I couldn't let her leave without saying hello. And you were like, wait, (laughs) Chili? TLC Chili? I was like, yeah, there she is right there. So poor Matt missed that moment essentially for like where, where I got to actually talk to her. But he did see her walk by the beautiful glass doors at the JW Marriott. Yeah, I don't even know if you stopped me in the conversation. I feel like my memory of it is I was looking at you. We were talking. I turned to my left to order another drink from the bartender. I turned back around and you were gone. I mean, it was like a plume of smoke and like you weren't there. And I was like, was there something I said? Where did she go? I don't know. So I'm just sitting there. I guess I'm with the bartender. Like, I guess it's just me and you now, pal. So talking with the bartender, drinking my drink. All of a sudden you come back like five minutes later. You're like, oh, sorry about that. I just saw Chili from TLC. I was like, and you didn't tell me. You could have gone after her, but I don't think the lady that was with her would have let you get that close to her. I mean, she was like semi-pit bull. She was on it. Listen, this was my first South by Southwest conference. And to be honest, I was not aware of the scope of the music festival that it is, and specifically the 90s hip-hop representation Mm -hmm. that was there. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so that was sort of my first experience. Like, oh, TLC's in the house. And then it was like, from there, it was just unbelievable to see the hip-hop shows and the DJ shows And all of the things that transpire there, like, I mean, just within that 90s hip hop niche, and there's other musical niches as well, of course, but just within that one, it was like 
unbelievable. I went to a DJ show there, which had, you know, all these top DJs, Jazzy mm-hmm. Jeff and all the best known DJs. And then unannounced, I mean, we were like three feet from the stage and uh, Just Blaze was DJing. And then unannounced, he's just like, oh, yeah, I called up one of my homies from New Jersey to see if he'd come down here and bless the mic. And uh, he showed, he ended up showing up and people looking around like, who is it? And Redman, unannounced, comes up on the stage and performs for 45 minutes at the show. We're like three feet away. I mean, it was like unbelievable. Yes, because you sent me the picture and I was like, I think I'm going to go home. I'm exhausted because it was just the longest day, but it was such an amazing day. But then you're like, oh, you should stay for this party. I'm like, my age is catching up with me. My bedtime was like three hours ago. I got to go. And then you send me a picture and I'm like, oh, (laughs) I I was like, you're literally touching him. Like, I hate you. Good night. (laughs) That was it. And I was at that show with my very, very good homies, DJ Ilche and DJ Jordan Chance from Rockford, Illinois. Ilche, I've known since college. And back then, I was the one that was a hip hop DJ. And I had a hip hop show on the college radio station. And Ilche was not a DJ, but he would roll with me and he would come to my show and he'd be in the studio every night, you know, and all that because he loved the music and the culture and everything. And then I basically retired as a hip-hop DJ, right? And Ilche became a hip-hop DJ. So he's now been DJing for, I don't know, something like 20 years or so. So he was there at South By. His homie Jordan Chance was there. And we all went to this DJ show together. And it was just unbelievable. But fortunately, you did get to meet those guys because we all got to have dinner the, I think it was the following night. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Top three dinners, a dinner on Blanc is two, for sure. And the dinner that I had with Bill and Melinda Gates was definitely one. But you guys got a hard three. Like, it was amazing. Great guys, great conversation, great perspectives from around the world. Like, still keep in touch with Ilche. Like, love you guys pieces. Y'all are just amazing people. Word. And Colin Randall was there at the dinner. And Maverick Show listeners know Colin from episode number 25 as well. So you got to meet a a whole bunch of the crew that night. That was a blast. I love Colin. Colin has a great heart and does a lot of good things for people. Yeah, he's amazing. And anybody that's listened to episode number 25 has heard Colin's story. If you haven't, you should definitely go check it out because he is an amazing, amazing guy for sure. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which, your number two dinner that you just named, Dine en Blanc, you went to the 30th anniversary in Paris two years ago. And we established that I was also at the same dinner in Paris in 2018 that you were, Dine en Blanc. I'm telling you, (laughs) the world is small, I swear. That was amazing. Like, I don't have to tell you, you were there. So for people that do not know what Dinner en Blanc is, which is French for dinner in white, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least they've never been to it, how would you describe it and explain it to someone that's never been or never even heard of it? So it's a secret, like everything is a secret up until the last minute. You have to get on a list and you have to get approved. And once you're approved, you have to pay for tickets for you and a guest and you get that taken care of. And if you don't get it taken care of within a certain amount of time, you lose your opportunity to attend the the picnic, essentially. 
But once you're approved and, you know, everything gets rolling, they give you all the rules and what have you. Like you have to wear all white, like everything has to be white. Um, It can be anything, but it does have to be white. And when you give people the opportunity to dress up, they show out. I remember specifically, I saw one of the tallest gallon bucket hats when I was in Paris and they were actually from Texas, ironically enough. But it's just you can be as creative as you want to with your white outfit. But it's just a group of friends. You deck out your table, you get really cool things to eat and you, you know, open it up to, you know, be shareable if you want to. Um, I love bringing more than than what I need because I'm just the type of person and I like to, you know, just share my food. It's fun. And you, you get so many engaging conversations and you meet potential new friends and you just have fun. They have music, they have beautiful light shows at the end or fireworks. Like in Paris, we had the Eiffel Tower to light up. So how amazing was that? And we had a band in the middle of the street and it was just the ambiance. It was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. It is amazing. It's a really special event and it's so extraordinary. That was the first one that I had ever been to. And it was so extraordinary because it is this clandestine, elegant white party where everyone is dressed and they're very strict. I mean, it's white. It's no off-white, no eggshell, no ivory. It's got to be white, everything Mm -hmm. white, including the shoes. You know, and it's elegant, right? So it's this super elegant outdoor dinner party. And we had at least 13,000 plus people show up for this thing. And you don't even know where it's going to be. You just meet your table leader on the the corner of two streets and they lead you. And then thousands of people are converging on disclosed outdoor location. And then it just all of a sudden there is it's like a pop up dinner party with thousands of people. And then four hours later, everything's dismantled. Everybody disappears and it's back to the way it was. It was truly extraordinary. Yeah, it was. So I was like, you know what? I just don't think it can get better than Paris. (laughs) Yeah, Paris is amazing. Let's go back a little bit. I want to start off and just ask you a little bit about your story, where you're from, where you grew up, and all of that, and eventually kind of getting to where your passion for travel came from. But let's just start way back and, and talk a little bit about your upbringing. Sure. So I was raised in Louisville, Arkansas. That is where my family is from. And it's a very small, small, small town, like less than 1,000 people small. But when I was growing up back in the 80s, I'm aging myself and that's fine. People actually cared about people and people knew people. People knew your family and everybody's child was everybody's child. So I lived on a street where I was directly across the street from my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother, down the street from cousins and around both corners from cousins, essentially. And I just had so much love surrounding me. But I was also super adventurous. I was a daredevil. I just loved to explore. And I wasn't really afraid of anything. And I love life. I couldn't wait to wake up in the mornings because I knew I was going to play. I couldn't stand rainy days because that meant I couldn't go anywhere. And I just had so much encouragement just knowing that the people I was literally surrounded by were there. And so I was given that freedom, if you will, even though, you know, it was a a poor, you know, situation in in terms of like, you know, the economy for the city itself, still, it was rich with love. It was rich with so much love and, and so much pride for my family too. 
And I appreciated that upbringing. It, it made me humble. It made me who I am. It, it taught me how to really appreciate people and how to love people and how to watch out for people and how to work hard. I remember anytime I went to go see my great grandmother um, on the other side of town, because I was fortunate to have both of them at the same time, she would sometimes give me a dollar. And I asked her one day, I said, what can I do with a dollar? And she said, you can go buy a honey bun. And I was like, okay. And so (laughs) when I got older and God bless that I lost her in, I want to say 2009 or 2010, I remember those conversations with her and I appreciated the fact that she only gave me a dollar because that taught me to work for what I wanted and not to wait for somebody to give it to me. You're talking about women, my great-grandmothers and my great-great-grandmother that worked on plantations, that knew how to care for people, that knew what real love was, that knew what real dedication was, that knew what keeping your word really amounted to. Those were values that were instilled in me from the primary teachers, in my personal opinion. And while, you know, obviously it doesn't take much history lessons to go back and and see how education was not equal, it's still not equal today, they still knew how to live life. And to me, those are the greatest lessons that you can teach someone is how to be a decent human being, especially now. And how did your upbringing, how did your sort of interests develop as a kid? What were you interested in and passionate about and excited about? And how did that shape sort of your you know professional and academic trajectory? Sure. So I actually went through some respiratory issues as a child due to some things that had, you know, gone wrong with our house. We had uh, mold in our house where we lived and that made my apparently asthma flare up. And so I dealt with asthma for about eight to 10 years on medications and steroids and everything like that. And my pediatric pulmonologist was absolutely amazing. I love that man because he kept me in his clinic when other people turned us away saying that, oh, it's just a cold, like, it's nothing really wrong with her. Like, you know, it may just be in her head. And I mean, my mom was the goat. She was like, no, I know my child and I'm going to find out what's wrong with her. And if you won't tell us, if you won't try and help us, we'll go somewhere else. That's exactly what she did. We got into Arkansas Children's Hospital. I was there for eight hours. They ran several tests to find out exactly what was wrong with me, exactly what was not wrong with me. And they treated me accordingly. And I am wonderful today. I've been asthma med free for forever, but He was the inspiration of me not only wanting to be a pediatric doctor, but a pediatric pulmonologist. And it was more so for dedication than anything. Because I'm like, you know, in my eyes, he saved my life. And for him, that was his job. So I was like, I want to do that for somebody to, to save a life, to give hope, to tell somebody that you see them and make them feel like they're important to you. That's empowering. But you know, for him, it was like, I'm just happy that you're okay. I'm happy we can help you. But I'm just like, dude, you are amazing. So yeah, that definitely shaped that part of my life and and got me so interested in the sciences. But then again, it just came from that love of exploring and wanting to learn more and 
just reading books that opened the world up to me in ways that I just didn't know about because I lived in such a small little town and I hadn't been anywhere, but I still got to learn through Sesame Street and the highlights books that were sent to the house and the encyclopedias that my mom bought for me. That was how I saw the world. And so I said, yep, I want to do this. I want to learn as much as I can. So I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of your experience in the sciences, but then also how you got into creative writing, because those are sort of two very different polarities. And you've been interested and very passionate about both. So I'd love to hear, you know, your experiences in each of those spaces and and what ultimately led to the writing, because I know the science was first. Science was first. When I started going to school in Texarkana, I just... I flourished um, because more opportunities were available. I was able to get into gifted and talented programs. And um, I was able to take like pre-AP courses when I got older and into high school. Honestly had some of the best chemistry and biology teachers on the planet. They were wonderful, wonderful women. And they really nurtured that love. And when I did have an issue I remember vividly when one day Monica Smith, hopefully she didn't mind me calling her out. She stayed with me at that school for like an additional hour and a half to make sure I understood what I needed to understand. And I think I ended up making like an A on that test because of her and her willingness to help me. And so it was like, you know, that's a hard subject. But when you have somebody really believing in you, that really pushes you to do so much more than probably what you thought you could have done by yourself. I loved it. And when I got to college, I still loved it. But I wasn't so sure. I just wanted to go straight into med school. So I ended up utilizing my Gates Millennium Scholarship and uh, the fellowship that I had also received from University of Tennessee, Knoxville, to pursue my master's in public health. And that was absolutely amazing because that offered me a different perspective than what I had. And, you know, I think as human beings, we just have natural biases towards certain things. We're not necessarily bad people because of them, but it's just, it's what you've been exposed to, what you know. My public health degree, it changed that. And it allowed me to just give a base level to everybody and not be so quick to think I know the answer to something, but really assess all issues and all potential problems and then see like what the actual situation was and go from there to try and help the person. So speed it up to 2015, I was actually diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so dealing with that for, you know, so many different reasons, I was just frustrated, Uh, frustrated, angry, upset, all the things. At that point, I had also had a little girl. Um, I was recently divorced. And so just all these changes were hitting me at the same time. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me at this point. But I didn't want to read about it as crazy as it sounds, because it's the level of acceptance that comes with it once you start to actually read things and say like, oh, that does happen to me. It's like, no, I, I wasn't ready for all that. But I looked at some things and I said, you know what, this is all neurological. So what's the best thing that you can do for a brain that's trying to kind of rewire itself, help it rewire itself, do things that you used to do, which were for me was dance. So I did ballet and tap and jazz for 10 years when I was in school. And then I said, I need to start doing things that I hadn't really done or I used to do and stopped. And one of the things that I picked back up was writing. I used to write all the time in college because that was just me. I just loved to write. That was an outlet for me. I've always loved writing. 
but life would have it that you just get busy and you get away from the things that you love sometimes and you just don't have that time to pick it up. But considering I had a few weeks to recover and I wasn't going back to work, I had nothing but time. So I made out this list of stuff that I wanted to do and writing a book was one of them. And so I did that for a few reasons. Like I said, because that was something I used to do. I was passionate about. I was good at it, but I hadn't done it in a while. But also because for me, that was going to be a healing process. And writing was the way that I chose to heal. And that was the most effective way for me to heal. So I wrote this book, Last Stop DuPont Circle, and it's loosely based on me and one of my best friends. So writing for me helped me heal over my MS diagnosis, losing my grandmother, and even being divorced. It was just a whole process of retraining how I thought, forgiving myself, opening up to things I loved, and re-experiencing life and falling back in love, honestly, with me. And that's not something that's easy for a lot of people to do. And it definitely is not something that happens overnight. But for me, it was so therapeutic. And I really appreciate some of the hardships that I went through. Because honestly, Matt, it just made me a better person. So how did you then decide to do the Sightseeing with Sandy project and go into a children's book series? What led you to that? So actually, I was asked to come to a roundtable in L.A. for the MS Focus Foundation. So I went from hating this disease and being ticked off about it every day and waking moment of my life to embracing it, allowing it to make me a better person. And now I'm an advocate in Southern California is absolutely beautiful. So it, it didn't sound like a, a bad idea to bring my kids to L.A. But yeah, so when we got to the airport, she was shocked because she had no idea we were traveling and, you know, went to the lounge for the first time. She had a blast. And then we got on the plane. I'm thinking all systems to go. Like, you know, we we took care of everything, like got all the luggage together, had the car seat. We were straight. Then she gets observant. Mommy, we're all the black people. She's like, I don't see any little black kids on this plane. It's us. And I'm just like, and so I said, you know, we'll talk about that later. So, you know, she held that to the fire because as soon as we landed, we got to the hotel. She said, so where are all the black people? Do black people not live in L.A.? And I said, it's not that, Sandy. I said, people probably, number one, aren't really traveling. Like the holidays just wrapped up because this was the first of January. I said, we're also in the middle of the week. You know, people do work. I said, the people that you saw on the plane, yeah, they did have kids. I said, but again, it wasn't that many kids on the plane. I said, some people are just probably at home and then school probably started back. So it was a bunch of reasons that I gave her, but I wasn't sure how I wanted to give her the final reason. They probably couldn't afford it. And I was like, how do you tell that part to her? But I did when we got home. I felt like I had to because I don't want to shield her from truths because she's going to see inequality. I don't want her to be oblivious to those things. But I also didn't know how to tell her something like that because she is as precocious as she is. This child has the biggest heart. 
And if somebody doesn't have something, she will give them anything. She will do anything she can to help them. So, you know, we had a blast in LA. And when we got back to Texas, I sat her down and I said, you know, you asked me something and I respect you enough to be as truthful as I can with you. I said, when mommy was growing up, you know, it was just Nana. And I said, you know, we didn't really travel. I said, Nana had other responsibilities for the two of us and she took care of us and we had what we needed, but we just really didn't travel because that was very expensive. I said, that could be the case for a lot of people. I said, but especially little kids of color. And she said, well, that's not fair. I said, no, baby. I said, it's not fair. I said, but that's kind of what it is right now. I said, but, you know, people can change their paths. I said, you know, mommy was able to do that. And I said, you know, I thank God that I'm in the position that I'm in to give you, you know, cool things that, you know, I didn't have because of my situation. I said, but, you know, we're able to make those differences, you know, for other people now. And, you know, you're good. You don't lack anything. I said, so, you know, it's a blessing that we're able to do this. She said, but we're not helping everybody. You need to fix it. And I'm just like, well, that's a tall order. My child does not hold any bars. She says what's on her mind and she needs it. And she walked off. She, that was it. Drop the mic. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> okay. So I kind of like let that sit. And I was like, well, maybe she'll kind of forget about it. So a few days later, she said, so how are we going to pay for everybody to travel? And I just dropped my head. I was like, dang, she didn't forget. And I said, Sendaya, I can't pay for everybody to travel. And she said, no, she said, there's a way. She was like, we, we got to think about it. You're smart. We got to think about it. So we sat down and we thought about the things that would get across to families, would be entertaining to kids that could tell them about the world without them leaving home. And we came up with books. I said, I can write a book. She said, okay, I like books. Will they have pictures in there? I said, absolutely. And I said, you know what? How about you help me write the first book? So that was the deal. Week of President's Day, we ended up sitting down when she was out of school and she told me where she wanted the first book to be. And it was in Nassau, which I loved because I was hoping she would say that because we had just did that fundraiser and she understood the disparity of those, you know, that those kids were facing because so many of them still don't have books. They don't have schools, you know, those that were impacted by Dorian. And I already knew I wanted to make this a social good. And I was like, you know, all kids need books especially those kids. So I already knew we were going to donate the books, but Sandy had the opportunity to pick the first place. So my heart leapt when she said Nassau. And I was so thankful that she did that. She said that because I was like, that's dope. I love it. I'm doing something right. And I said, okay, cool. We're in the Bahamas. We're in the Caribbean. We're surrounded by beautiful beaches, great food, wonderful people. What do you want to do while you're in the Bahamas? She said, I want to dress up. I want to fly a kite. I want to go to the beach. I want to eat really good food. And I want to see my Nana. I was like, done. I said, if you could only see one type of thing, what would you want to see? And she said, I like pretty birds. And she does. My kid likes birds. I said, okay, cool. So that gave me some direction on how to write this book. 
And obviously going to the beach, flying the kite, all that stuff, you know, that wasn't the hard part. But what is something that was specific to the island or specific to that region, you know, that we couldn't see here in the States as far as the bird goes? What's something really, really cool and really, really big in the Bahamas that they're super proud of and highlights them as Bahamians? And that was Junkanoo. So, yeah, you got Cuban Amazon pairs, you got the Festival of Junkanoo, and then you got the history of John Canoe. And then you got her at the beach with these friends that she met at the Junior Junkanoo Festival. Then you got her going out to eat with her grandmother and her mother having grouper. And then her mother accidentally eats a scotch bonnet pepper, which, by the way, when I went to the Bahamas, I did that. And I don't recommend anybody do that. Those red peppers are not bell peppers. But that's how that book came about. It was the innocence of a child being given the opportunity to tell me what she wanted to do when she went on vacation there and me researching and me interviewing, essentially, because that's exactly what happened and me just putting it together. And by the grace of God, I found an editor and an illustrator within the same week. These women are absolutely amazing. They get me. They get my passion. They get my vision. And they produce the most beautiful book that I have ever seen. And I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. And I am just in love with it, and we're already working on book number two. That's amazing. We are going to give out the information at the end of this episode for how people can get a copy of that book and uh, check out the whole Sightseeing with Sandy project. But can you talk a little bit more and go a little bit deeper on the value of kids being able to read books and imagine themselves traveling the world? Absolutely. So first, I'd like to start by explaining how going to LA with Sandaya just unlocked a whole different child that I'm just like, who are you? It was a beautiful thing to see because the first time she saw the beach, uh, which we use this in our promo video, she ran to it and she was like, no, 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 that's not for me. And she runs back and then she catches herself and she's like, but wait, this is the beach. I need to go play. And that's exactly what she did. So that was her attitude for four days. Like she was just ignited with curiosity, with the ability to point and play and ask questions. And then she 
thought about things like, well, why is this like this here? And we can't have this where we are here. You know, is the the weather that different? And so we talked about climate. I mean, like she literally was asking these in-depth questions. And, and for me, obviously they're surface, like they're easy to answer, but she was just a different level of inquisitive for her age and just for her being my kid. She she didn't normally talk like that or she normally didn't get that deep in things. And it was the fact that she got to explore. It was the fact that she got to be curious and explore that level of curiosity that honestly wasn't available to her at home. And I, I think traveling had a lot to do with that. It just opened her up to being comfortable enough to ask why. And when you look into studies, especially this one study, and I swear I wasn't partial because it shared my name, but it's a study done by Wise Travel Confederation. They look into 400 adults that reported that they traveled between the ages of 12 and 18. And the stats are incredible. You know, you can see these as soon as you open up the site, but 80% of the adult survey thought educational travel sparked greater interest in what they were taught in school. Bam, educational benefit. More than half of the children who traveled achieved better grades. Again, another win for education. And then lastly, the the thing that I'm sure everybody would get happy about, the adults that went on these types of trips, whether they be domestic or not, they did earn more than 12% greater income than those who took zero trips. So when you look at that, and then if you really want to dig deep into the weeds and understand the impact of travel on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, you could see if I'm getting this kid on a trip maybe once a year and I'm piquing her interest and she's able to, you know, explore things and ask why and build that curiosity and take on challenges more, guess what? She's probably going to take on a major that allows her to do that too. So yeah, I definitely think travel is not given enough weight when it comes to benefits of how we can help us be more successful human beings. So when you have these kids that are growing up, but lacking that financial infrastructure to actually do certain things like that, you are leaving talent on the table, unnurtured, and literally we could be pouring our resources into these kids because they are our future. And so maybe we can't all send them across the world, but we can give them a book that allows them to see the world on a certain level that they may not have ever been able to. And if we can just inspire them and give them hope, I think you're doing a huge favor to them. I agree. I think the book is awesome. I've read it. And I know you're going to put a copy in the mail to my nieces and nephews, which is amazing because I have three. My sister has three kids and they're between the ages of one and seven. So Mm -hmm. all three of them, I'm very excited to have them read this book. And, you know, the kids have never been out of the country. You know, they're not in a financial place right now to take the kids on an international trip. And so exactly the same as what you're saying. What I try to do is when I go visit them at Christmas, I see them every Christmas, I am telling them travel stories and I'm bringing them gifts from around the world, you know, and then I'm telling them about the place, right? Mm -hmm. And then what they do is they keep a map on their refrigerator. And it says, where is Uncle Matt? 
That's adorable. And my sister marked on the map the different places where I am. And then when I come for Christmas, I bring them their Christmas presents and I explain to them where they are from. Mm -hmm. The two kids that are five and seven who are now at the age to play sports. So one girl, one boy, and they're playing soccer, both of them, right? Right. And so I brought them soccer uniforms, one of them from Uganda and one of them from Zanzibar in Tanzania. (laughs) So they (laughs) roll up to their soccer practice in Vermont, by the way, right? (laughs) And they're rocking their Uganda and Zanzibar soccer jerseys, respectively, right? And they're so proud of them. Like, they're so excited. And they know where Uganda and Tanzania are on the map because I've showed them, you know. And they're, like, fully, like, informed and, like, prideful and, like, representing. And they know they're the only people at soccer practice in Vermont that have Uganda and Tanzania jerseys. That's amazing. I want one. <laughs> word I know I'm saying so you know but that kind of stuff I think is important but I also tell them about oh you know when I was in Kenya I went on a safari and I saw these particular animals and you know this and such and such and so now they're really intrigued you know and they're mm-hmm. really interested and they really want to go and and do some of that stuff and experience more of that stuff and their interest is really peaked because they know someone that's done it, right? One of their relatives have done it or something like that. And so I think, you know, what you're doing with the book is you're allowing the kids to put themselves in the place of Sandy and imagine themselves going through the world, having these cultural experiences, you know, creating their own adventures to experience things and then coming away with, you know, cultural appreciation for the different things that they've experienced which inherently is good, right? When you read a book about another culture and you learn something and maybe you want to try that food or you want to incorporate some part of the cultural experience, but then also your interest is peaked and you're like, man, I really like to actually go there in person and see that, you know? And so then when you get kids into that mindset, it's like as soon as there's an opportunity to prioritize figuring out a way to do that, whether that's a study abroad program in college or whatever it may be, you're going to, be wanting to prioritize that. And as you do, then all the benefits of travel unfold from there. Absolutely. When my kid got the book in the mail and she saw it, not only did she open it up, she loved it. She was like, oh my God, this is me. I'm like, yeah. And so she got one of our books that had pictures of different places around the world in it. And she just started looking at it. And she looked at it in a way that she really hadn't looked at it before. Normally, she was like, no, this has too many words in it, not enough pictures. But she picked it up this time and she started asking me, okay, where is this? Where is this? I want to go here. What do they do here? What can we see here? And it's like she conceptualized the fact like every place is not going to be the same. I can see different things. I can meet different people. I'll have new friends in these places. And that's exactly what the idea is with Sandy and Zuma in this child series. Like, it's amazing that you get to see this little girl blossom and have this global perspective and it be a normal thing for her. And I intentionally created that character I didn't have the um, teddy bear talking, essentially. And somebody said it would have been so cute if he just would have talked to her. And I said, you know, I thought about it. 
I said, but I on purpose did not have that happen. I said, because so many of our kids don't have something real to hold on to. It's a real situation that a little girl can go on a trip with her mother and take her stuffed animal and her dog can come and they tour the city, they tour the countryside, whatever. That's a real situation. I want these kids to know that you may not can travel today, but you have every opportunity to make everything that you see in this book happen. Everything that you see in this book at this point on this day when we published it, it can happen. And you need to know that you are more than enough. You are more than capable to be there and make it happen. Absolutely. And they're learning about different cultures in the meantime and getting yeah. excited and creating their travel list and their their bucket list and their dream destinations of where they want to go as soon as they're able to figure out a way to make that happen. And if they're committed to it, there's a lot of ways to make it happen. So I think that's amazing. I also want to ask you about the process of creating the book series with your daughter, Mm -hmm. Sandy, who is six years old and is the protagonist in the book through whose eyes the story is told. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the process of creating the book with her and what Sandy's experience was like literally being the co-author and co-creator of a book from her own perspective at age six? That's amazing. Yeah. So... She liked having that creative piece, but she was quick to disappear when the work started. But aren't most kids. But when we got the edits back and we got the line drawings back from Catherine, which is our illustrator, and, you know, we could kind of put, you know, a little bit more meat to it. I said, hey, I want to read you a bedtime story. And she was like, "Okay." And I said, there are no pictures. I said, so you got to use your imagination on this one. And I read it to her. She said, that's our book. And I said, yeah. I said, I got some line art for you. It's not in color yet. I said, but I still have some black and white pictures. Would you like to see them? And she said, yeah. And she said, this is how I imagined it being. She said, this is just so beautiful. Keep in mind, these are just black and white pictures. But she was so excited to see herself in a book. And I feel like that just gave her a sense of, importance, a sense of esteem, and a sense of I can. And as a mom, that's the most amazing thing I think that we can give our kids is the feeling of empowerment. Because especially with our kids, the climate that we're living in, everything that we're going through as a nation, as a world, you know, community, we have a very long way to go. But I feel like this book is one step definitely in the right direction because we are empowering the next generation. We're letting them know, hey, you are terrific. You are not a target. You are intelligent. You are not inferior. There are so many messages by just creating something like this book series that I'm not only doing for my little girl, but I'm doing it for everybody's kid that has to just deal with the barriers that society has allowed to be in place. And I'm hoping that will get torn down quick, but it can't happen quick enough. I love that. 
And I also want to ask you, the other thing that is amazing is not only was Sandy at age six involved with the conceptualization, creation, co-writing of this book, but you also centrally involved her in the marketing of this book (laughs) on the Sightseeing with Sandy Instagram channel, which she crushes, by the way. Let me pour the rest of the bottle and then we can talk about that. <laughs> Which is amazing because I am just going to tell you that your daughter is one of the cutest, most adorable humans. I mean, she is amazing. And so I, of course, follow the Sightseeing with Sandy Instagram handle. And every time I see a video with Sandy on it, I'm just excited to click it because she is so adorable and amazing. But I wanted to ask you about that aspect of it as well. In addition to sort of the creation of it, how has it been in terms of her involvement with the actual marketing and promotion of the book? Because that's been amazing to see also. She's fierce and she is very self-aware, but in the, the funniest and sweetest way. She told me one day when I was getting ready to announce part of like an accomplishment with her, she grabbed my face and she tilted her head like she pitied me. And she said, Mommy, you are so adorable, but this is sightseeing with Sandy. This is not sightseeing with Sandy and Mommy. I'll do the video and you can just stay behind the camera, okay? I was like, excuse me? (laughs) But you know what? My ass didn't get back in front of the camera. So (laughs) she politely put me in my place. And I was like, my feelings were hurt. (laughs) Not even going to lie. My feelings were hurt. I felt some type of salty. I was like, I wrote the book. You can't even write a sentence. And I was like, well, you know, she is sick. So there's that. But still, I was like, really? But apparently people like my child. So that's totally fine with me. I stay in my place. I'm only on camera when I'm called, essentially. Um, But that hasn't happened yet. So I'll let you know when it does. But yeah, she feels some type of way being able to promote her stuff. But you know what, Matt? If that puts a smile on that child's face and if that makes her happy and if that gives her a sense of purpose, I will fall all the way back. I'm totally fine with that. But I will say on a serious tip, though, I want her to be a child. I don't want her to have to be a face of a product because that's not her place. She's six. She deserves to have childhood. If the childhood involves her being everything on Instagram because that's fun for her, totally cool. The day she doesn't want to do that, I'm not that parent. That's fine. We can use the images. Like I can make really cool, creative digital images, whatever needs to be done. But I am not putting her in a position that she does not want to be in. This is fun for her. This makes her happy, especially now. Like anything we can do to add happiness to our kids going through this time, I'm here for it. But she's just amazing, an amazing ball of energy. She keeps me going. I love her. She never will let me forget my place, though. So there's that. Listen, she is doing amazing. She obviously loves the spotlight in front of the camera. And you can tell that when she's there, she shines. And listen, you're supporting and nurturing her 
entrepreneur hustler side if she wants to explore that and do her thing. And, you know, you're letting her do that and giving her a platform for that and supporting her to shine. And she is absolutely shining. She is amazing. I can't believe she's only six. I am incredibly excited to see her journey through life as she grows older because she is destined to do extraordinary things. I'm also super excited for my nieces and nephews to get the book and to start reading it and for a lot of other people to get it as well. We're going to give out all of that information at the very end of the show. And at this point, Shambrika, are you ready to move in to the final part, the lightning round? Yes, I am. Bring it. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend that people check out? Becoming, Michelle Obama. I think it's so important, especially what we're going through now. She just gives so much hope and she's such a beautiful human being. She is just phenomenal. And she really creates this blueprint of the most amazing human being. And I feel like she lives up to it effortlessly, like becoming hands down. Who is one person that you've never met that's currently alive today that you would most love to have dinner with? Viola Davis. She's the first Black thespian to receive the triple crown of acting. Like that's just incredible. Her walk of life has just been inspirational For me, she is my sightseeing with Sandy. She is the version of I can because number one, I have nothing to do with entertainment, acting, uh, like illustration, uh, nothing. Like all this is organically being done. Like I've not had any formal training, but still seeing somebody in a place where I'm hoping and dreaming one day I can be for, you know, my work on this project. It's so empowering and it's so beautiful She's incredible. And I would love to just, you know, have dinner with her and meet her and just hear parts of her story that, you know, maybe she hasn't told the world, but things that just make her unique. And I just appreciate getting to know human beings. So yeah, Viola Davis, definitely. Awesome. What is your number one parenting tip for raising an amazing child? So I'm going to cheat. I have four L's that I live by. I listen to my baby girl's heart because she barely gets in trouble. Like she does several things to get in trouble. Let's be clear. But when I listen to her and I let her understand that I'm trying to understand her, which is my second L, then she's able to communicate with me and she opens up to me and I can clearly get how a six-year-old may have come to the thought process of why they did what they did. And we talk through things and we keep it pushing. Like, I don't want my kid to be afraid to communicate with me. I want her to feel like, yeah, I can tell mommy anything and not be afraid of consequences. Like, I am the closest thing that she has here on this earth, essentially. So why would I want our relationship to be one of fear or one of lack or one of insufficiency? So, yeah, I listen to her. I let her understand that I care to know what she, you know, means by certain things. I also let her assess me. And, you know, lastly, I love her. She knows I love her. 
And love is so multidimensional and it's not anything that's perfect. It's the fact that if I mess up, me and her can actually sit down. Like one night I will never forget. I poured a glass of wine. She had apple juice. I said, yo, let's just talk about today because with her, I I forgot what even happened, but I never will forget that moment. She said, it's okay, mommy. We'll just start over tomorrow. And I loved her spirit. She made me feel better. And I was like, okay, this is totally cool. But that's my baby. So I smile every day. I get to be her mother. That's awesome. All right. What are your top three favorite travel destinations? Could be inside the United States or international, but top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been, you'd most recommend people check out? Okay. So Paris, obviously. Definitely. Paris is just beautiful. Telluride, Colorado. Oh my gosh. Fell in love with it. Never thought I would be happy being so isolated, but I was thrilled. Last one, gosh, it's a hard, hard, hard pick between Nassau and the Dominican because the people were beautiful. They were nice in both places. I just enjoy the food. I'm just going to cheat. I'm going to cheat and say, Fonsacana, Nassau, tell you right in Paris. Yes. All right. Fair enough. We'll give you four. Thank we'll do you. it. <laughs> All right. Shambrico, what are your top three bucket list destinations, places that you've never been that you most want to go? Okay. I say Cape Town or Safari, of course. I want to go to Ghana. And I want to also go to Mozambique. Mozambique definitely is the third one. It just looks beautiful. Nice. I have not been to Mozambique, but I have spent a bunch of time in Cape Town. I've spent about three months in Cape Town. And uh, I can tell you that the wine in Cape Town, actually right outside of Cape Town in uh, Stellenbosch and some of the South African wine country is uh, really, really epic. But Cape Town is also an amazing city. And then... I just went to Ghana last year for the first time and Accra was just absolutely magical. I have talked about it on a number of podcasts and it is just truly a magical and really, really special place. And I'm so excited to try to get back there as soon as possible. So I think those are some awesome picks. All right, Shambrika, last question. Our relationship initially formulated around hip-hop music back at South by Southwest. So I've been looking forward to your answer to this question for over a year. Who are your top five hip-hop MCs of all time? Okay, Queen Latifah, Lauren Hill, The Brat, Left Eye, and somebody from New School-ish, I say Rihanna. I give Rihanna props. I think she can do whatever she wants to. Like, Rihanna's a beast. So I put her in that category, too. Wow. I love that. An all-female top five. That is amazing. And those are really, really, really amazing picks. That is awesome. And Rihanna, by the way, can really spit i mean hip-hop like when i heard her spit her verse on lemon i was like whoa like i haven't heard her do that before in that way you know and i was very impressed i mean i think she has 
mad skill. She's super versatile. A lot of people might not initially associate her with being a hip hop MC, but I think she definitely can be and can spit that for sure. So that's amazing. But yeah, awesome, awesome picks. I was, as you know, a hip hop DJ in the 90s. And so you know, all of those 90s MCs are very close and dear to my heart. So I think that's amazing. All right, Shambrika, I want you to tell everybody how they can, first of all, get a copy of the book and then how they can connect with you and follow you and Sandy and future things that you have coming up. Absolutely. So head over to sightseeingwithsandy.com. It's the first thing you see. Links for the books in English and Spanish are right there at the top of the page on the homepage. You can also just go straight to Amazon. The title, of course, is going to be a little bit different for the Spanish version, but we also have that information on our IG. So that handle is just Sightseeing with Sandy. Very, very simple. And yeah, that's us in a nutshell. That is awesome. We are going to link up everything in the show notes. So you can just go to one place at the maverickshow.com and go to the show notes for this episode. And we are going to have the direct link to buy the book as well as the link to the website to check out more stuff. Cause you guys have awesome stuff on the website. You have like recipes from, you know, different places around the world that families can cook together and try different types of food. And you have, you know, really cool information on traveling with kids and all different sorts of stuff there. So we'll, we're going to link up the website and then certainly the Instagram handle so folks can uh, see some of the videos that you and Sandy have done together on Instagram, which are amazing and uh, follow you guys for future stuff that you have in the pipeline. But that's all in one place at the maverickshow.com show notes for this episode. Shambarika, thank you so much for being on the show. It was amazing to have you here. It was so good to be here. Like, you're an amazing person. I love what you do for so many. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.